0: okay good morning good afternoon good evening welcome to free association it's five to three five to four even in the afternoon i'm losing track of time Uh, but i've got a good signal so i'm going to do a show and uh there's a few bit shoot clips to catch up on so We'll start. Uh, there's there's some material from John Campbell I want to play as well. But let's start with a bit shoot GB News clips, and then see where we go from there. So I'm going to stick around a little while. See if anybody comes in, and we'll have a chat if anybody comes in. Uh, It's live on Podbean. So informal, doesn't have to be any stress at all with Podbean. I can just do it when I feel like it, which is what I do. I'm not putting myself under any pressure. I've got got a a recognised slot on a Saturday on Revolution Radio for an hour and everything else is as and when I feel it's necessary. So, let's have a look and see. So, this is Liam Halligan talking about the cost of living crisis.
1: As I was saying, inflation surged to a fresh 40-year high with the rise in the consumer price index hitting double digits For the first time in 1982 the year madonna made her debut the year michael jackson released thriller which became the best-selling album of all time in the here and now uk inflation has just gone above 10 percent much higher than expected by most analysts the cost of living is soaring and the bad news is inflation will get worse before it gets better in june the consumer price index increased by 9.4 percent compared to june 2021. Today's figures show that in July CPI inflation rose 10.1%. That's the 40 year high. It's also more than five times the Bank of England's 2% target. Now, the retail price index, that's a broader inflation measure which the bank used to target, that's 12.7% higher last month than July 2021. And then there's the producer price index, which we often talk about here on the money. It captures the cost of the inputs that firms buy to produce goods and services they sell us. 22.6% higher than a year ago, suggesting there are more cost pressures in the pipeline. Now this soaring consumer inflation is explained in part by higher food bills and the cost pressures faced by farmers, of course. Food inflation is 12.7% up, according to the Office for National Statistics. Supermarkets are reporting their sales of own brand produce are up by a fifth over recent months as shoppers look to save cash. rising utility bills, they're also playing a major role. So, they've doubled for many households over the last year, and with energy regulator FGEM set to raise its price cap again in October, we're in for more price rises as we go into autumn and winter. Now, the Bank of England and others who previously underestimated price pressures, they highlight the war in Ukraine and the knockoff impact on global gas and wheat prices when trying to explain high inflation. This russia ukraine conflict has made things worse. But inflation was already at a 30-year high back in February, before Putin's inflation invasion. Inflation, to my mind, being driven by the fact that the world was locked down for two years and has yet to fully reboot, while post-lockdown demand has surged Firms and factories everywhere, the global economy, they're still struggling with supply chain issues. And that's pushing prices up. And that is our under-money question today. Is this a cost-of-living crisis and a cost-of-lockdown
0: crisis? Um, Clearly it is. Clearly it is a cost-of-lockdown crisis. Uh, It takes time for supply...
2: (laughs) candidates actually that they gave it a pretty clear account of themselves that the people of Scotland voted in a once in a generation referendum. That that vote's the promise in September twenty fourteen and they voted decisively to stay in the United Kingdom. For me personally, I think Belin's edged it and she will be secure in my vote, but I'm quite comfortable from the perspective of both candidates that they will give the SNP
3: sense of what I've been can you tell
4: me why you thought Liz, actually? What was it in either what she said or her performance? I mean, Liz has a, a right and very
2: background within Cabinet here. She's had six different jobs. She was part of the coalition cabinet, And she's a down a broad coalition of support <coughs> from the more traditional right of the party to more moderate figures such as Tugendhack. And I think that we need to go forward with a, a united party and
3: we've a party which has been more divided than we've seen since the Brexit so referendum in front of them, uh, June 2016. So a united party needs a united country. Uh, and that's absolutely, uh, I agree with you. You do need to tell your members of parliament with you. But was there any well, joining me now in the Student Union News Business and Economics editor, Liam Hallowen. So, inflation. Right. And I guess what I'm interested in, what are the tools and whether it's the government or the Bank of England's disposable to deal with inflation?
1: Well the main one is uh, to raise interest rates. It seems like a pretty, pretty blunt instrument, but what you're trying to do is take demand out of the economy by raising borrowing costs, not because of people with mortgages and, and other personal loans. We have seen Bank of England raise interest rates six times in a row, As you know, they're now at 1.75%. That's much lower than when we were kicked in recent years, but it's much higher than they they were down at just a quarter of 1% uh, during the pandemic. And if you look at uh, the financial markets, um, traders are betting that interest rates will actually double by this time next year, so they'll be at 3.5%, which is rough if you've got a fixed rate mortgage or if you've got a fixed rate mortgage it's going to... Expire by then, but it's not just about interest rates. Another way to get inflation out of the system is to, you know, help firms lower their costs. Right? So I would say, if you look, if you don't, you know, if you avoid raising corporation tax or even lower corporation tax, that means firms have got more margin. They don't have to pass on the big cost pressures to consumers. And getting rid of red tape it's about not just the demand side, which the Bank of England is trying to influence, but also
3: the supply side. And i guess that's where i'd be looking for and say how do we reduce the cost of things so for me we're looking at it mean, mm, well, when would you be raising sort of interest rates because that will push up costs push up right. you know people yeah. you know the, the lack of money already in the inflation is going to be even worse i mean you'll
1: know from your experience as an mp and many people watching and listening to this show if they're running small businesses The the business rates, any physical presence a business has, that that attracts tax. Their machinery, the value of their machinery attracts tax. Business rates are sky high, particularly for a lot of small and medium sized firms. If you can review business rates and get them down, they can help uh, firms keep their costs under some kind of control. But look, there is a lot of doom and gloom here. I wanted to say, Esther, that. I do actually think inflation is going to peak quite soon. I do think it's, it will go up more in the autumn because that energy price cap, the energy regulator often will raise the price cap again. We know that because how and you know, wholesale gas and, and energy bills uh, costs are very high, and that means household utilities will go up again, even though they have most doubled in the last year, that will be in October. But once we're through that, once we're through this autumn and winter, I do think inflation will start to come down. And if you really, I won't bore you with the fine print, but if you look really deeply into the R&S data, the Office of National Statistics data, as I have, and I'll be explaining more after one o'clock in our show on the money why I think this, you can see signs that this the supply chain price pressures, these this supply push inflation, is now starting to come up. Things like. Yeah, the cost of timber for instance, yeah, your, your family were in the building game for many years, mine too. That's absolutely key cost of uh, so many things um, cost of other basic inputs. The oil price for instance is down about 30% since the height of uh, summer. So there are signs in place as the global economy reboots, as the supply chain pressure starts to ease frankly as we all get back up on our feet after two years of lockdown inflation will start to come
3: down. And you not the big word there, lockdown. These are the sort of attacks from there. It's uh, to lock down, perhaps. We are seeing at the same. Hemsheet and the other thing that I I, I wonder about. Some people are talking for action, action, action. We need to be doing something, you know. Where are are the ministers? Where's even the current prime minister? We need Mm. to be uh, doing things. But I'm wondering, you know, what was the Bank of England doing for so uh, many months? you know, was, uh, you know, were they asleep at the wheel? Yeah, I think
1: they were. And I've, I've written this many times in my weekly Sunday Telegraph, poem. I wrote in March 19, March 2021, that a big surge of inflation was coming. And, you know, people in the Bank of England, the Treasury laughed at me. I mean, literally, it wasn't emailing, what are you talking about? Are you completely mad? And it's not just me. I have the pundits and, and people that really understand financial markets. Could see this coming. I do think the Bank of England was asleep at the word. And I'm afraid it gives me no pleasure to say this, but Governor Andrew Bailey was talking about inflation being transitory as 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 recently as October and November last year, which, when it was clear that there was going to be a big inflationary problem. And yes, the war in Ukraine is important. And if there is a major escalation and wheat prices and energy prices go up.
3: That will mean there uh, is
0: more of a problem. But we're already at a 30-year high for inflation in this country. The next before the world you've kind are joining me now All right, so it is a, a lockdown. It's a cost-of-lockdown crisis rather than a cost-of-living crisis. That's what, we're, that's what we're saying today. Uh, welcome to the room, O'Neill and Zero. Glad to have you here. I'm just playing. I'm playing clips from GB News, but I'm also open to having a conversation with somebody if anybody wants to call in. So don't feel like you have to sit there. I'll uh, I'll take the call. If you want to talk about the cost of living crisis, we can do that, or any other topic you want to talk about. I'm happy to to have the conversation. I may not agree with you, but I'll tell you if I don't agree with you, and and we can have an adult, genuine conversation about it. All right, I'm going to continue with the clips then for a few more minutes. And uh, we've got, a, I've got another clip about food banks, so let's play that one. I have to give the first word to you, Julian. You and I,
1: we've been warning about inflation. We said it would go into
2: double digits, now it has. It doesn't feel good to be right, does it? Uh, No, it definitely doesn't, and as you said, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It looks like headline inflation will be maybe at least 13% in October when energy bills rise again. Uh, I like your point, by the way, that this is partly a cost of lockdown crisis. So the the lockdown may or may not have been necessary for for public health reasons, it certainly massively disrupted the economy, you know, particularly the labour market. There are a whole of people deciding to retire early, as it appears about Covid, uh, and also global supply chains. On top of that, the enormous amount of, of government spending was mm. essentially financed by the Bank of England printing money and keeping interest rates very low. And at the end of the day, I'm one of those people that believes that inflation is always caused by what happens to monetary policy and the money supply. And so I think that's where the biggest blame rates.
1: James let's go to you. Uh, you are here as a, as a business leader, you run a very important Sheffield-based battery manufacturing company, your company uses lots of energy, you employ people, you have you know, uh, corporation tax bills, you have business rates bills. Tell us about the cost of living crisis for you as a company owner, the cost pressures that you are seeing. Is there any respite on the horizon?
4: I think that's, that's exactly the right question, right? I mean, as a business owner, what you're really looking for is certainty. And, and I think as we move into uh, the kind of inflation that we're moving into right now, that uh, certainty tends to evaporate right now. We're, we're in the process of looking to recruit around 200-plus people right now so if you see um, you know real pay is actually decreasing for the first time as you said in in 20 years Um, it's a it's a very tight labor market right now that's a really important aspect especially highly skilled uh, talent that we need with scientists and innovation engineers and Uh, And so that makes it quite challenging. We see the UK as an opportunity to really become an innovation hub. I think uh, companies that develop new technology can be some of the winners that help pull us out of these kinds of uh, challenging economic times as you build new products and technologies that people really want to have. You put your finger on it there,
1: James, if I may say so. When inflation gets high, business leaders Mm. like you, you think hard about employing more people. You don't know what price you're going to get for your goods. You don't know what price you're going to have to pay for the inputs that you need. And that, of course, has not on effects for the broader economy, for jobs and incomes, as you say. And so, Neil, Charlotte, what's the reality that you are seeing on the ground? You're not at the business front line. You're at the front line of coping with this cost of living crisis. Gillingham Street Angels doing absolutely fabulous work down there in Kent. Uh, are you seeing the use of food banks go up? Are you seeing different kinds of people
5: using food banks these days? The numbers that we, so last month we fed 13,064 people. Our numbers are going up horrendously. And it's not just for food, people are asking for school uniform. Um, it, it's, I think it's just going to get out of hand. The problems get out of hand. It's about business. We still have to operate as our a business ourselves. So we've got premises, we've still got paid. The gas, the electric bill, car insurances, you know, we've got our own, and that's rising. Just the cost of us going to get the food from people that are kindly donating the food, that that's rising. So we're finding it's a struggle ourselves to actually keep going to be able to help the people who need the help. I mean, there is a lot, there's a lot of good businesses, a lot of good local people from ch- churches, organisations that have been helping us and making it possible, but it is, it is worrying times, and I think if you say about technology now, one of the big things for us is people seem to be going backwards where we could give someone a chicken and say there you go there's a whole chicken you go and feed your family now they don't want to go and put it in there the air fryer because that's just too much money to run so people are going to start going backwards a bit and they want to take ready meals they want to take quick easy things to cook i think we'll end up getting in a, in a dangerous situation if the, if the energy prices do get higher. people start doing silly things our like candles you know fires in the garden i think we'll go backwards i think some people just can't afford to new technology i think we're going to go
0: backwards, and that's sadly a reality of the cost, but you can't hold it. There you go, sorry, it is. Very much a, a, locked, a cost of lockdown crisis. Right, let's not bother with the next one. Uh, I'm going to move on to YouTube and see if I can find the clip from John Campbell yesterday. That I want to include, so let me just do that now. This is a, a vaccine study in teenagers from Thailand. Today's talk.
2: 16th of August. Now we're going to be reporting on a study from Taiwan looking at complications after Pfizer vaccine in 14 to 18 years. And as far as I'm aware, this is the first prospective study in this age group. Now after the second dose of the Pfizer vaccine, tachycardia, fast heart which was reported in 7.64% of people. Shortness of breath, it was 6.6.4%. Palpitations, the awareness of the heart beating on the chest, 4.3.2%. Chest pain, 432 percent uh, Cold. The is 3.99%. Normal electrocardiogram that you see the EKG, uh, 17.94%. And elevated biomarkers, which is the really definitive thing. These are. Now, I was actually taken at that at these. very high levels of this. So that's what this study is about. Now, this is taken from this study here. It's a preprint. This release is a preprint because uh, the whole point of preprints is a bit of an emergency while we wait for peer review. And I really feel that this is something that the NHS and the CDC should be taking comments and so sort of straight away, you know, with a view to changing their guidelines. I would have thought as an emergency. At least, that was case. Um, so this is that was the paper. Let's look at the PDF. It's free to it download. Um, I've read all this. It, it just it's just a really good scientific paper. It's all oh, there. God. All the information is there. Um, no so question in my mind, it will um, be accepted after peer review. Whether there's any minor changes, the normal is. But uh, the essence of this paper is a very good study, and as we said, a prospective study, giving the definitions of things there, giving the sample size, the calculation, the results, giving the flow diagram of how things were uh, arranged, um, specific results there for the side effects, and uh, also giving the um, MRI results from the studies that we've done in the people that complained that, um, that had the heart inflammation that we wanted to do MRIs and so again we have pretty definitive uh, evidence there from the MRIs. For example, here we can the, um, the pericardium. And if you want to look at it in more detail, do check on those check on those studies. Um, now let's get straight down into it now. This is the study here. Cardiovascular effects of the uh, Pfizer-type BioNTech vaccine, and it's in this preprint, and the, the preprint is printed in this report. Preprint um, study focuses on uh, cardiovascular effects, particularly myocarditis and pericarditis events, after Pfizer vaccine. It tired in adolescents, thirteen to eighteen-year-olds, both sexes. Uh, there, are more, there are more boys than girls, about two hundred, uh, about two hundred boys and three hundred girls, and it's a prospective cohort study now prospective study here what you're doing is you're collecting people as they come for their vaccination and you're following them through why hasn't prospective study been done by uh, the drug conference personally why hasn't it been done by the nhs why hasn't it been done by the cdc or any others about highly reputable institutions why are we forced to take this data from thailand it really is bizarre, but as far as I'm aware, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know of any other prospective study looking at economics in this age group. Why on earth not? Prospective studies are always considered to be better. Well, it's a convention in research that prospective studies can collect data more accurately than retrospective studies. And yet this is the first one that I am aware of. Really quite, quite surprising, really quite surprising that this is the case. Uh, students from two schools, aged 13 to 18, had received a second dose of the vaccine. And uh, prior to the second dose of vaccine, all of the uh, all of the adolescents were uh, healthy. Otherwise, they couldn't go out to the next part of the study. All healthy, without any uh, abnormal symptoms. We saw before receiving the second dose of the vaccine. Prior to the second dose, all in good shape data collected, demographics, symptoms, vital signs, ECG and EKG often, the so same thing, and cardiac enzymes specifically. Now, this is a big strength of this study, so what you have is you have, you have heart cells here. These are the, uh, for example, in the myocardium, these are the cardiac myocyte cells. So here are the cells that are in the heart. And within these cells, there's, there's, there's various substances. So for example, there's one called CK. Now CK is a muscle enzyme. It's called creatinine kinase. There's another called troponin type T, troponin type T. And these are supposed to be in the cells. So the, the troponin is to do with muscle contraction, and the creatinine kinase. is one of the enzymes that facilitate biochemical reactions inside the myocytes. And they're supposed to be inside that. Now there is a small amount outside the
4: Normally, but if the heart of the is damaged,
2: then is the in the This is a fairly definitive and mm-hmm. So, you well, you know, we said short of breath, not short of breath. Not short. It's kind of subjective, this is hard, empirical <laughs> yeah. and, Related to these uh, cardiac, we we'll call these cardiac. Trials, that so, good that we've collected those. Uh, now, the collected data at baseline, so when people joined the study, and then it was prospective as we went along day three, day seven, and quite few to day 14. Uh, 314 were recruited into the study, We lost about 13 on the way, so they've got an analysis of 340. Now, this is um, not as big a sample size as we would like to see. We would prefer 3,000 and or we prefer 30,000 and 1, or 300,000. But it's still a pretty good sample size, and it's 301 bigger than any prospective study done in the United States, the United Kingdom, or Europe to our share.
5: Now, um, cardiovascular
2: effects overall nearly 40 percent had something reported of some racial problem in this life. Ranging from tachycardia palpitations to myo- myopericarditis, which of course is pretty potentially serious. Uh, now, the most common side effects, as we said, tachycardia, seven six four shortness of breath, 64 Palpitations, 4.32. Test pain, 4.3-2. Abnormal EKG findings. Fifty-four. We get completely exclusive things, and you can say that there's kind of a range of normals. Jeez, there is, there is, there is truth in that. We do have definitions for this. So, like the way I've always taught is, is a normal ECG, and you've got a QRS. And you've got a T wave. That's a normal ECG. So you've got a P, atrial contraction, Q, uh, S, ventricular contraction, and then you've got a T wave. And um, the definitions are really fairly straightforward. A normal ECG has a P, QRS, in the right order is fairly straightforward. It's between sixty and 100. The common technical area is over. Um, t- technically, if it's, it's less than 60 project um, uh, individual you know, fit people very often their rate is less than 70. you've got a PQRST in the right order and it's regular I mean that's pretty basic uh, that's pretty basic science and as we said as well as these um, reported complications here we have this um seven participants 2.3 percent so they're all male. Uh, at least one elevated cardiac biomarker positive uh, assessment. And as we said, they will find elevated levels of uh, preoxygen kinase, the muscle enzyme, uh, the cardiac. But it's like uh, look for if we suspect cardiac damage. Um, my- Myopereocarditis confirmed in one patient after vaccination. Uh, um, the, uh, yeah, yeah. um, so, clinical myocarditis um, confirmed in raw information. Now, this is one out of 300. That's an alarm As well as all these other things, that am greatly concerned but these are high, high percentages, very high percentages. But that will It's one in 300. So we need bigger studies on this. Why hasn't this been duplicated? Um, in the UK or the States or Canada or Australia. Um, very very uh, difficult to explain how we are not doing this. Um, two patients had suspected pericarditis. Four patients had suspected subclinical myocarditis. And three patients had a minimal uh, pericardial effusion.
0: So, so what you have, you have, you have the heart. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop John Campbell there because it gets very technical. Uh, and you can always watch the video on YouTube. It's on his YouTube channel. Um, and people have posted it to, to BitChute as well. So I know it's on BitChute, that one. So I think I'm probably going to wrap that up now. We're coming up to the 30-minute mark. So... I think that's probably enough for, for for the moment. I might be back later on today, depending on on what else shows up that's worth playing. But uh, thanks thanks for coming in, Zero. Much appreciated. Uh, if you want to jump on at any point, let me know. Um, and if you follow me, you'll get notified of the live shows. The live shows are all different times, but I do I do a show most days. Uh, but it's not always the same time. Uh, it's possible the next one will be about eight o'clock my time this evening. So in roughly four hour, well, three and a half hours time. So I don't know whether you want to come back in for that one, but uh, you're very welcome if you do. Uh, it's news, news and conversation. If anybody does want to come in and have a chat, we can do that. If not, I just play clips alright, thanks for coming in much appreciated and thanks for listening and that's it for now